This is a Player One podcast. Player One is a radio show about gaming that airs every Friday from 6 to 8pm on Sin Nation, a digital radio station in Melbourne, Australia. You can also stream Player One at syn.org.au. And to find out more about Player One, go to syn.org.au slash Player One. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, this is Cash and Aiden, and we're here from Player One uh, here at GX Australia. We're joined by Lee from Flat Earth Games. Lee, how are you going? Yeah, not bad. Good show. Yeah. Awesome. So um, we've got Lee here. We're going to talk about objects in space. Lee, why don't you just tell us a little bit about objects in space? Yeah, sure. It's uh, an open world space game. So you've got your own ship, fly around, take jobs where you can get them, buy and sell cargo, upgrade your ship, all that sort of thing. The main difference is that we've based the combat on submarine warfare. So you don't get a front window. You're not dogfighting as though you're in a plane. You're looking at navigational charts and sensor screens to try and figure out who and what is out there. So it's a stealth action game, really. Space is represented as 2D, and you're trying to jump from nebula to nebula and go through asteroid belts to keep things quiet so no one sees you there. That's amazing. And what influenced the submarine warfare as opposed to, I guess, the general kind of warfare you cop in games? It was my sister's idea. Uh, She came up with the notion because she loves open-world space games, Elite Dangerous and all those kinds of things. Those are very much her jam, but... Um, the reflexes required for the really fast-paced combat in those games really frustrated her. She was always more of a submarine fan, so she thought, well, why don't we combine the two, get that kind of like tactical challenge rather than reflex-based challenge. And so we just kind of took the ball and ran with that. Like, submarine sims have been a really big focus for the game, but they're also they're kind of niche, but they don't need to be. The gameplay in Subsims is really tense, like that, that sort of thing of like long periods of tension mixed with moments of terror when stuff actually does go haywire. There's the potential for universal appeal there. It's just, it's so esoteric because it's a military sim. So you take it out of that, put it in a big open world as a space game, make it a bit more accessible, and we're hoping people dig it. Yeah, well, uh, Aiden, you had got to test drive it just then, so do you dig it? I dig it so hard. It is, it's, I think you described it absolutely perfectly. Because everything you've said, I felt playing it. You have to, it's thousands of screens, you have to sift through them, find what you need, fight the people, survive, get out. It's, I loved the, just the five minutes of it. It's, it's insane. It's, it's very much akin to the feeling of playing Civilization V and trying to get through it with only diplomacy. <laughs> That's the feeling of, you don't know if what you're doing is going to work. You, can, you only know if it's going to work if you die. I loved it. Yeah. 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 So, and I've got to ask, because when I played it, I used your rig that you've got here, your mm. very much steel battalion rig. What, what inspired you to make that awesome rig? So the way this, this happened was um, Arduinos. They became a thing, and they were like easy to use. So it was just a matter of, well, in theory, shouldn't we be able to use this to act as like a make-at-home type of game controller? So a shoebox got built that had like a couple of little functions on it and that was it. And it kind of worked and it was kind of cool. And we were geared up for PAX Oz in 2015, getting ready to go down. And like a week or two earlier, like we always knew we wanted to add Arduino functionality as a thing for the game for later on down the track. I kept on saying to my sister, no, 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 let's not add it yet. It's, you know, it's, it's really an ancillary feature. It's not something people are going to really play the game for. But then a couple of weeks before PAX Oz, she's like, well surely we could put together something that resembles like the cockpit of a bridge and you know take it down with us to PAX and then I'm sitting there thinking about all my experiences at previous PAXs going there are 
50 games in a row, that would be awesome and make us stand out from the crowd like nobody's business. Hell yeah, let's do it. And so we did that, and the reception was so good that we went, okay, we need a bit more financing for this. So we went out and got a bit more like proper funding and investment for the game, built the setup that you now see, which is technically the third version. It was shoebox then it was two-week version, and then it was this one that took like months of work for Alyssa and Jenny to get right, and another friend of ours who did all the carpentry. We built this one to withstand international travel. So like the circuits inside are mounted on bits of plastic so that they hover in the middle of the boxes, so that if there's turbulence and stuff, it doesn't smack against the side. But yeah, look, so it's supposed to mimic the cockpit of a spaceship. We built it ourselves, and the idea is that we're going to release the source code for all of the individual buttons and lights and switches. So if you want to make your own gear at home, you just drag and drop our code, do some stuff with cardboard if you want to, or proper wood or metal. We've got people on our website who've already 3D printed versions of the cockpit that's are looking like amazing. And so we're hoping that people get really into it. We're trying to enable people to do DIY, build your own spaceship consoles. Okay. As you're describing it, I'm just picturing it, and it's because uh, the satisfaction of because the way it works is you use the like the if you want to shoot a missile at someone, yeah, it's like a submarine, as you said, and the act of spinning spinning up, and then f- you have to flick a switch open and then press the button. I'm like, I feel like I'm launching nukes right now. This is incredible. It's sadistic, but it's incredible. Oh, we. We like felt like kids in a candy store. We went to like J-Car Electronics, and just for reference, everything that was built there is the sort of thing you can just get at a normal like Mitre 10 hardware store and a J-Car. So, except for the Arduinos that we ordered online that are like 50 bucks a piece, everything else, basic soldering and wiring, and that was all that you need to know how to do. But when we were at J-Car, we were running around and like finding buttons and running up to each other going, look! Look at this switch. Feel this switch. Feel how that one goes. And I swear we worked backwards. Like, we knew roughly what we wanted them to be, but we were finding buttons and switches and going, oh, my God, we need to include a button that does this. Like, we found a little motorized fan, and I was immediately going, okay, stop presses. We need that fan to sit there and only be on when your reactor is on. So if you ever go into stealth mode and switch off your reactor, the little fan stops spinning. And I had to fight hard for that one because it took a long time to program and everyone thought it was going to be a waste of time, but it's my personal favorite part of the ship. I actually, I absolutely love the fan feature. I can say I'm glad you persisted, because it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, the fire button, though. Like, oh, as soon as we so saw good. something with a safety catch, yeah, we were like, oh, awesome. there's our fire button. It's got to be. It's so cool. <laughs> I feel like the Cuban Missile Crisis in space. <laughs> <laughs> I could so see that being in like used in like maybe like short films as well. Someone builds up their own rig and they just do a little thing, and it's like, all right, we're gonna fire, we're spinning up. Ah, I'm say what you're doing right is what Steel Battalion did completely wrong, where you had to spend four hundred dollars mm. on a specific rig with yours. You can build and this the stuff that you're like. I'm looking at it. I'm like, holy shit, these are just buttons from J Car. Yeah, <laughs> like anyone could build this. Yeah, and so when you said we're like, the we're, we're the opposite of Juicero. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're trying to not give people a custom, you have to buy our $500 yeah. plate. I mean, we're a tiny indie team. We can't afford to mass produce anything even if we wanted to. I love, I love your production model. It's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. In, uh, in terms of uh, like w- when it's going to get released, because obviously it's not out currently, uh, when can we kind of expect it to be released and what are we expecting it to be released on? Uh, so it's PC and Mac. Yep. And... If you'd have asked me at PAX in 2015, I would have said it'll be out early 16. So I've gotten it wrong a few times to say yeah. it's 
open world games are really big yeah. and hard and I didn't know that and now I do and I feel foolish for every release date I've ever forecast before. I am hoping we will have it out by the end of this year. Yep. I am hoping that. But when we have a date we're really going to commit to, we'll make a big song and dance about it. Awesome. We can't wait for that. And as we well, can't. especially Aiden. Aiden's just way yeah. too excited. No, he... I'm absolutely... If the game you released was what I played, I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's safe to say that uh, GX has absolutely blown Aiden's pants off a few oh, times yeah. today. No, but as well, well, just... They'll find that out when they watch the recordings again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they will. Um, and one last question... Um, I guess just to wrap it up is what kind of PC build or kind of like Mac build are people looking at like what are the specs are we looking at to potentially run it are we going heavy medium yeah, kind of light I mean, well I mean if you've you've seen the game yeah. it's like it's blocky it's retro it's supposed to be yeah. like mid 90s early 3D which I love about um, it <laughs> Yes. But all of that sensor stuff, like the computational power required to do all of that is yeah. really quite tricky. So it's a CPU hog and it, your GPU can be any, any old thing. Oh, so right. like we're currently still able to run the game on like six-year-old MacBook Airs. We develop on Macs. Oh, oh, and we will be dropping it on Linux as well. Maybe yeah. not in time for 1.0, but it's, we're doing it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's, all it's right. about time Linux got some love with <laughs> games. <laughs> That's sweet. Okay, thank you so much, Lee, uh, for joining us here at GX and thank just you. talking to us about um, objects in space. And as well, just quickly, where would people want to find you? Uh, like, if they're looking like Twitter, Facebook, or website, what, what have we got for you? Yeah, objectsgame.com, at objectsgame on Twitter, um, and flatearthgames.com.au. But the main thing we're updating at the moment is just objectsgame. Yep, yep. so the website, cool. All right, well, this has been Cash and Cash, Aiden, um, here on Player One. You're listening to Player One on Sin Nation. Thank you. This has been a Player One podcast. To check out more Player One, go to syn.org.au slash player one.